You are listening to a podcast, not just any podcast, but the 16th podcast of the Something on My Mind program. I am David. And I am Cindy. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. We appreciate your listenership. You can catch us on all social media platforms and you can go to somethingonmymind.net to submit a question to the show. All right, so what's on the docket? What is the something on our minds this week? Okay, for this week's first financial topic, we know that you shop for cars, you shop for houses, you shop for clothes, but do you shop for your medical procedures or your surgical needs? This is an uncommon thing, but choosing to do so may save yourself a lot of money in the future. For the next topic, we cover the story of a 20-year-old who committed suicide using the Robinhood online brokerage platform. He thought that he was over $700,000 in the negative, and because he thought he was financially ruined, he took his own life. It does turn out, though, that he may not have been in the hole at all with his money. So we will dive deep into the story and provide education on the types of money strategies that he was playing with and ultimately how this could have been avoided. Next up will be the coronavirus montage. In the first story, we will tell you why you do not need to pre-wash your dishes. In the second story, we cover the Los Angeles Dodgers. They've come up with a crafty way to have your picture taken and used as a cardboard cutout to be put into the stands. This is a charitable cause that will give back to the community and also provide support for the team. For the third story, we will cover some common misconceptions when it comes to using facial cream and moisturizers. For the human interest story of the week, we cover a town in Washington of just under 2,000 who is going back old school to print wooden money that can be used as real cash for those that are strapped during the COVID crisis. All right, so let's get to the show. Okay, now it's time for this week's roundtable where we have no script, we just let it rip. All right, who's going to whip out the first topic this week? Oh, that's pretty good. So it looks like we have another topic around Zoom fails again. So I read this story about a producing branch manager at a local financial firm who had actually spent 30 years in his career at this firm and heard it through the grapevine that he did get dismissed. So that's what this article talks about for inappropriate behavior not involving clients or um, investments. So I heard that this man was on a video conference call and there was multiple different leaders on this call. Apparently, as soon as the call ended, he got up and one of his colleagues joined him in a very inappropriate session on camera. Let's just say that the numbers were on the rise. And eventually, the numbers would dip down again after a few minutes, right? <laughs> right. The The chart went up. <laughs> Right. And then it goes back up again, right? It goes up, it goes down. there was some, you know, maybe um, lack of understanding the technology. And every single leader in that meeting still, I mean, he it must have been so instant because everybody was still on and his camera was on. So they were seeing this, but his assistant came in and um, whatever happened next, it was all caught on live Zoom. And so this man took a 30-year career as a veteran in his industry and took it down. Anyway, I just, it's like that whole thing of if you are doing something you're not supposed to be doing. First of all, there's a whole world of places that you could go. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that seems exciting that you're going to get up and like, oh yeah, I'm turning my camera off. Come on in and let's let's do the dirty or whatever. But like, 
why don't you just walk out of the room or seek out a bathroom or a closet or something? Like, it must have been instantaneous. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just don't need a little extra butter on the bread. <laughs> I mean, and the bottom line, and I just, I thought about this all driving home. You, just, I think he probably had it coming to him. Okay, <laughs> he probably did. But I thought about this the whole way home is like. I mean, he just, well, he just blew his whole career. <laughs> This is highly inappropriate. Oh, <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> oh man. Sometimes you just get into your own head, you know? <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> okay, getting back to the story. I mean, the bottom line here is that you, for this, I mean, I don't even care. To each his own what they do on their personal time. But, like, you just wasted your whole career getting caught on Zoom doing something you were not supposed to be doing in the first place. It probably means that this was occurring before. and it it goes for sure. It goes to show you when you keep doing things that you shouldn't be doing, eventually you're going to get nailed for it. No. I mean, look, raising three kids and I just, we had, you know, one of the, the leaders of our kids, the leader of the pack, just... Did normal teenage things, but he would always be like, how do you know? How did you catch me? Like you walked yourself into it. Like the time, the one time that he butt dialed me and he didn't know it. And he left a voicemail of a car ride with him and his buddies. And they were revealing all kinds of things that they were doing. Nothing overtly criminal, of course, but just stupid teenage stuff. And, uh, and I'm like, hey, listen to this. And then the time where uh, um, he texted me by accident. <laughs> Like, uh, you know, I'm going, I thought he was somewhere else that he was, and he was somewhere completely different, and, like, sent me the whole text. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're, like, recklessly just walking yourself into trouble every time. I mean, I think he truly thought I had eyes in the back of my head, but. Like I said, this guy's probably 50s, 60s, because right. he had 30 years Yeah, then. yeah, so for sure. eventually, again, <laughs> it catches up to you. There's just, that's the way it works. That is the ultimate Zoom fail. Yeah, it is the lesson. I mean. Every kid in our house knows, like, you just got to live right by others and yourself. And if you choose to do stupid things like that, just know that there will be a consequence. Well, if I can sum this up, <laughs> he made a very, very hard decision he to did. have his whole career blown. He did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. I, I like that. podcasting. This is fun. <laughs> Okay, so we are on to our financial topic of the week, and this is one that we don't really think about very often, which has to do with shopping for things. Give me some common examples for things that you would shop for. Mm, cars, TVs, anything, you know, like electronics for the house. Or hit up Amazon for all Amazon, kinds. right. Well, I mean, if you're talking about comparing or price comparing, yeah. Right? Everybody does that to Household some degree. Goods, more right. than others, but... The one thing that I would say that 99 people out of 100 do not do is comparison shop for their medical costs. More like surgeries for when they're going to go under the knife. Well, and I'll bet 99% of the people out there have no idea that that's an option. This is a subject that we've had experience with, so we wanted to make sure that we brought this to the forefront this week. Hence, we'll paint a landscape of the types of things that people go through when they're addressing their medical costs. So looking at the landscape a little bit, right off the bat, just from a cursory review, it simply costs more to have healthcare administered in the United States. 
That's true. And I'm reading a New York Times article that does give some comparisons for some typical procedures. So for example, the cost for a typical angioplasty, the average U.S. price is $32,200 compared to $6,400 in the Netherlands or $7,400 in Switzerland. A typical MRI scan costs about $1,420 in the United States, but around $450 in Britain. So you could go down a long list of items for procedures and looking at the article that you have brought up, the United States is more expensive in every single surgical category that has been listed in this article. It's monetized. Well, yeah, the U.S. runs their healthcare. It's a business. It's a business. That's what I mean. It's a monetized capitalistic business. It's not a more socialized healthcare system. and And it's way more prevalent than it used to be. When I grew up as a kid, even in, I'm going to say in my 30s, and I'm 50, I don't remember all these drug commercials ever being on TV, right? It's like, that is a big chunk of what is out there in advertising dollars, in my opinion, depending on which programs you watch. But I'm sure all of us remember commercials all the time right now that they've seen so many times that it sticks in your brain like uh, Humira. Yeah, my favorite drug commercials. All this blah, 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 and death, <laughs> right? All the side effects. Well, they don't say that. No. That's in, that's in a movie. Be, no, they do. No, that wasn't a... No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, that's in a movie called Joe Somebody. It's a Tim Allen movie, and he works for a drug company. And in the background, when he's in the bathroom, you can hear a commercial playing for his company, and they start listing all of the things off, such as blah, 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 shortness of breath, diarrhea, pancreatic problems, and some cases, death. I think they do actually say that on some drug commercials. There's some pretty severe to death uh, side effects. I'll we'll have to check that because I'm sure at all costs they they're trying to not tell to say you. death in a commercial. Uh, I think they have to I, tell I, you. I guess technically any drug could kill you. So in short, it costs a lot for healthcare in the United States. Back in February of 2019, Trump called for a stop of surprise medical bills, hence the topic that we're talking about. But nothing has happened as of yet, and really, in essence, it's really hard to achieve that. Now, I've looked on the internet, and there are tools out there, depending on the hospital you may go to or the network you may be in, that can give you a surgery cost estimator, right? But that's not nationwide. That's not a thing where you can go necessarily and just have it based on where you're going or what medical insurance you have. Therefore, people really don't know what they're paying for, and oftentimes they get surprise medical bills. It says here in the MarketWatch.com article that one in four people opt out of surgery because they can't afford it, Or in some cases, they probably don't even know if they can afford it. The three main drivers of the cost are out-of-network charges, unexpected facility fees, and other charges, and, quote, balance bills. Now, back in January 1st of 2019, the Trump administration put in a rule that hospitals are required to post costs publicly, but basically it's useless. Most patients pay for their procedures with insurance, but the price listings they are receiving are largely useless. There is just too much convolution out there to understand or predict accurately, and we would take days if we actually explained all this in a podcast. But the bottom line is you're not getting information that you need to really understand what you're going to have to pay for, and no one's ever going to really know that for sure. And to cap that off, most doctors don't post their costs, and they're not required to. Well, and, you know, there's so much kickback between the doctors, the drug insurance companies. I mean, when you see those drug salespeople in the office, it's, I, I think a thing of the past was those big junkets that they used to I mean, it's, it's much more clamped down now right. and, they, and they can't keep taking doctors to, uh, yeah, to junkets or golfing. Oh I my was just gosh, the, big trips, huge trips. I mean, they're, that's, 
again, it's all this behind the scenes, you know, it's all about the money. I was just in the Dermo the other day and that drug lady came in and mm-hmm. she had a bunch of samples that she was handing out. And so what she can do is she brings in lunch for everybody. Yeah, exactly. So in thinking about this, one thing that you can do as an individual is research your costs. The first thing that a patient can do is contact their insurance provider to determine how much a procedure would cost ahead of time. So in order to do this, the patient's going to have to meet with a doctor and get the insurance code and then call the insurance company to get rates from that doctor covered by their plan. But that's not all of it. Rates can differ by a doctor's office, so it's hard to find the best price, and a patient would have to make multiple appointments, sometimes paying multiple copays, just to go talk to the doctor about the procedures that they're getting. Ultimately, the patient's going to have to comparison shop, and that is the only way for them to know to get the best price, maybe. And we were just talking surgeries, but if you're talking other procedures as well, just general maintenance, preventative care, that applies as well if that's something that you need to watch your money with. And consider this fact. If you go and get put under anesthesia and have something done, and you don't know if the anesthesiologist is in your network, you can get slapped with a huge out-of-network bill. But if you're sedated and on a gurney, you aren't going to shop for the best price. A quote from the executive director of the Association of Independent Doctors said, this is something that you should look for while you go into surgery, is that every doctor that you are going to see throughout that process is actually in your network. Another thing that you can consider in your search is to work with doctors who actually bypass insurance. So to help this out, there are some doctors who are bypassing insurance completely. So doctors that are in private practice are not required to share non-insurance prices online. For example, a plastic surgeon who knows that procedures aren't done by insurance anyway in a lot of cases because it's elective, those doctors should post those costs online because it creates a competitive balance. For example, in the marketwatch.com article, there's a facility in Oklahoma that's doing just that. It's called the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, and they advertise themselves as a free market-loving, price-displaying, state-of-the-art AAAHC, which means they're accredited and they're doctor-owned and multi-specialty surgery facility. In short, patients are basically looking at the prices they're offering at the surgery center, and in many cases, it's costing them less as if they applied their insurance. So the one thing that this does is it gets rid of the mystery. You know what you're paying for, just like if you went to Best Buy to get a TV. So in our case, we actually have experience with this. So back, say, maybe 2013? I think it was 2013, So let's say seven years ago, and I needed to have surgery on my right big toe. In short, I needed the surgery because I have a genetic defect in my bones and I was in severe pain, so I needed to get it done. Oh, yeah, and I also needed a bunionectomy. A bunionectomy? I don't remember that. It's called a Limbs Quick Procedure Bunion. Now everybody's going to try picturing your feet. Is this because you don't wash between your toes? Yeah, Lexi, (laughs) Lexi. So Melissa says she thinks of us every time she's in the shower and washes between her toes. Yes, we mentioned that in a prior podcast about (laughs) washing between your toes. Anyway, this procedure basically takes off bones that were forming on top of the bone. bone spurs. Basically. So that was the crux of the procedure that I needed. So then I thought to myself, like we've been saying, how much is this going to cost me? And I had no idea. So I talked to my doctor and I said, do you perform surgery in more than one center? Right. So there's surgery centers. Many doctors go to one or the other or the hospital. They're affiliated with maybe two or even three. Correct. So I said, okay, great. I went to his people and I said, what are the diagnostic codes for the work that I'm going to have to get done? So they gave them to me. And then I was calling the hospitals and they were like, who are you? 
I mean, really. Yeah, most like, people actually don't take the time to do that, which is amazing, again, because most people don't realize you can take the time to do that. They were actually kind of... Um, they were impressed, they, No, they? they were not. Oh. They were perturbed. <laughs> and I had to talk to them more than once. It wasn't just like, hey, because they're like thinking, who are you? I'm not just going to give you this stuff. I had to work through like people or get to a certain manager at the facility. It wasn't easy. And so finally I got down to that and I said, listen, I'm a patient. I want to know what I'm going to pay. You have to give me this information. I have the right to know. So then I got to the point where I'd say, okay, tell me exactly what I'm getting done. And so I found out, for example, that my surgery was an hour. So you have to pay for the OR time, right? I, of course, knew that I needed an anesthesiologist. Right. I needed the materials to go into my foot, right? I have a titanium mm -hmm. screw, the tools to use, right, to cut the bone. You are grossing me out right now, Ulti but I get it. Ultimately, it was like four or five categories that I remember. So I said, okay, great. I made a chart, opened up Excel, and I compared the two. And I found out that from one surgery center to the next was a $10,000 difference. I remember. Right? I mean, yeah, you, you put the time in. And you saved a lot of money. And that's, I mean. Well, I can actually tell you what it was. One was $10,000. The other one was $1,000. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I picked the cheaper one because I had the same doctor that I was comfortable with. Exactly. So, I get everything done. And then when I get the bill, the insurance does do write-offs, as we all know. And by the time it was done, I paid $334. I remember. So, if you take the math and you go to the other place and multiply that by 10, I would have paid $3,334. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, do you remember the cast incident when you were maybe in a week, less than two weeks out of having that thing removed and you couldn't take it anymore and you went <laughs> like, go get the hacksaw. Absolutely. It was driving me nuts. Like, I'm not doing it. I know I shouldn't have done it, but the cast was not put on very well and it was rubbing and itching. It was poking into my legs. It was so poorly done. And in the bottom of the heel of my foot, it was bare, like it was supposed to be covered, and so it was very janky, and it shifted, and it just drove me nuts. Well, you know you can go back to the doctor to get that done, but you didn't because you got to wit's end. You got the, literally got the hacksaw out, and you're like, I'm going to start it, and you're going to finish it. I remember I was just like crying, and like, I can't do this, and you're like, do it. Just take it off. And nice. I saw it through that thing, and we were, like, ripping and grunting trying to get that thing apart. They're, they, you know, they have actual, because I just went through this, they actually have machines that saw through those that are, like, little chainsaws that don't potentially cut your leg with a hacksaw. It felt so good. If you ever watched Bugs Bunny as a kid, and he'd be traveling a long way, and then he'd stop and come up and say... I must have took that wrong turn at Albuquerque, <laughs> and then he would peel his skin off his toes like a banana, and the steam would come off. Oh and he's my like, ah, oh, and that's what it felt like. And I think it's because I didn't take drugs because I don't like doing painkillers in my regiment. And so, well, the doctor was not happy with you. Remember, he's like, "You're lucky. I like you. I would have fired you as a uh, patient." Our kids went to school together, but he did say after looking at it, it was a pretty big hack job, and he was going to rake his assistant over the coals for doing such a poor job. But well, it's because the swelling goes down and then the movement creates all that friction and pain. Remember, I had a cast on for 16 weeks after I got hit by that car. I know. It's, it's, I, had, uh, I had four cast changes throughout that time. And that's because you're swelling and the sh it shifts throughout underneath there. So anyway. So getting back to the cost for the procedure, that was a win. And so getting back to saying what we said earlier in this article, the time for someone to go talk to doctors 
and get these procedure codes and understand what they're getting is a lot of time and money. Yeah, and again, I mean, making sure that everybody that's treating you within that whole entire procedure from start to finish is in your network because ultimately, and you know this, after I got hit by the car in January of last year, I was in the hospital for four and a half days and you don't get to pick and choose before you go in. I mean, obviously that was in a severe emergency situation, but what I remember is all of these surprise bills after. And remember, we kept getting doctors that I didn't have any clue who these people were. They would literally walk in, peek their head in. And if you've been hospitalized, you know, there's somebody that peeks in, checks on you. They might look in your eyes or your ears or whatever it is. And then you get a two or $300 bill. Remember how many? Give her some Tylenol. That'd be 26 bucks a pill. No, it was like a Band-Aid was $14. And the little thing of cream that they gave me to heal the scars on my face, that was outrageous. Yeah. A lot of people are aware of costs in hospitals even if they've but not you can been fight hospitalized that. well yeah we I fought mean, it remember i fought a couple of those costs afterwards because i don't even know who these people are that poked in my room at that point of course i had a head injury a closed head injury yeah so you're a lot i might be, not remember too much at that a, point you're a lot better now what you're a lot better now huh? <laughs> The best thing about Cindy in this closed head injury per se is that sometimes she doesn't remember as well as she used to. So if there's a movie that I like and she doesn't remember watching it, then there's no problem if we watch it a second time. Okay, so that was a lot of information that we went through, so I think it's time to do the recap. Number one, medical costs are high, and we have no freaking idea what the future is going to hold. Number two, if you want to get the best understanding of what it's going to cost you to get procedures done, you're going to have to shop around. That means starting by talking to your doctor and getting the diagnostic code so you can start understanding what things are going to cost you. Number three, if your doctor works out of more than one facility, shop those facilities because the cost can be different. And secondly, make sure that your insurance is in network for the procedures that are going to be done other than the doctor. Number four, if the costs are coming in too high with your present doctor and you're willing to look for a second opinion, this is something that may be a beneficial factor to you when it comes down to the total cost. All right, so happy medical surgery shopping, and we will move on to the next subject. Okay, we're going to get into another financial topic, but this one's more story-related, and we want to talk about things within that to provide some information about how things work when it comes to investing through online brokerage platforms. And to preempt this story, it is not uplifting, but it is important that we talk about it. This story occurred about a month ago, which reads as a headline, 20-year-old Robinhood customer dies by suicide after seeing a 730000 negative balance in his account. He was trading his money through Robinhood. If you are unaware, Robinhood is an online brokerage trading platform. It is becoming ever popular with millennials. Yeah, they're popular because they do fee-free trading, which means that they don't charge a commission per trade. Right. The old school is that way, right? So if you went to buy a stock, it was 10 bucks a trade, for example. And the way it works now is the industry's actually moved into the advisory relationship, which says that you charge an annualized fee to your client on a quarterly basis, they get charged, but that keeps the broker and the client on the same side of the fence so you can't drive up per trade commissions because brokers at one time were making a ton of money on per trade commissions. Right, so the fee is if quarterly based on total assets. So with Robinhood, without fees, especially with millennials, and the assumption is many of these people using the platform don't have a lot of money. So this trading platform is very attractive to young investors especially. 
It has very loose requirements, and that is completely indicated in this article. Here's what you have as a 20-year-old buying a bull put spread on margin. So let's stop there. First of all, explain what buying on margin means. Buying on margin means that you take the collateral in your account or the securities in your account, and you actually get to borrow against yourself, meaning which you are allowed to take a loan on a percentage of the assets that you own at a pretty high interest rate. But you can get yourself in big trouble when you're margin trading. But let me just, for example, I have $50,000 worth of stock in my account. I want to trade on margin. Typically, margin will allow you to borrow anywhere from 50 to 70% of that collateral in your account. So I would be able to go in and buy more stock, and I would have a margin availability of roughly thirty dollars to $35,000 that I could go in and buy more stock. So basically, I'm adding to the principle of it. But here's what happens. When you buy on margin, if the stock market goes down and any part of your portfolio goes down, you go into what they call a margin call. Well, now all of a sudden I'm upside down. Maybe the market's tanking. Maybe all of a sudden COVID has none of us expect that the market's going to drop 40%. Well, guess what? When you have to sell to cover margin, you have to sell three and a third times to cover that call, which means that all of a sudden the market is upside down. Your stock is way up here at the purchase price, and now you have to sell and be forced to sell at bottom pricing. All right, so let's say $50,000 in the account, thirty-five dollars on margin. So that's the 70%. Right. So let's make it a little more layman's terms. Right. Someone has $35,000 on margin. Right. So now all of a sudden their underlying principal stock value is, you know, around, let's say, eighty dollars to $85,000 based on that $50,000. So now I have this underlying principal, but I still owe $35,000 back to the bank. So let's say the COVID happens and the stock market tanks and all of a sudden my portfolio is dropped by 40 or 50%. And maybe it's just even that concentrated stock position. Now maybe that $50,000 stock is down to 20 or 25,000, but I owe 35,000 still. So now I'm at a net loss of 10 grand in that case. And I have to cover that collateral call or that margin call. So where does that 10 grand come from? That 10 grand comes from you better go to your uh, outside bank account and have that additional 10 grand in here or you're going to have to sell off the stock, which means that if I've got this low valued stock in a completely declining market, now all of a sudden I'm being forced to sell at the lowest of low and I can't even cover it. So now I'm upside down by half and I still owe that 35000 This gets back to what we always say. Like if you buy something on credit, in a sense, you're buying on margin, you're buying on credit and it's the same thing. You're buying something that you can't afford or you're risking it that you might not be able to afford it. And here's where I have a problem with Robinhood is when we approve a client for buying on margin or even option buying, which is what this, this young man got into is, there's stringent criteria that our clients have to meet to be able to do that. And the bottom line is you have to prove a net worth that says if I go into any type of margin call or option call that I have to all of a sudden come up with, you know, held stock to cover the call or a big chunk of money to cover the expiration and the buy, you have to be able to prove that you have that in the outside. These are typically bigger fish, meaning they have some money in their pond, if you will, to pay for these margins if they come due. Right. So continuing the story, there was a note on the gentleman's computer, and it says, quote, how was a 20-year-old with no income able to get assigned almost a million dollars worth of leverage? Being in the industry, that is exactly what I want to know. Just so that everyone knows, this gentleman was playing with options. 
And options are very risky. And he was doing a what? A bull put spread. And so let me just explain that options are very difficult to follow. So if you don't have a good level of understanding of option trading, you better have guidance by a great financial advisor who does know option trading. Further to that is when you start getting into hedges and spreads, there is a complicated system to this because you owe stock, you have to buy stock on one side, and you're you're, you're trying to go between one to the other. So you might be having something out there that you want to purchase, and you might have something out there that you want to sell to right. try to balance it out. You're trying to hedge your money. And you the could, strike prices in between. So Right, and we don't have the time to tell you on this podcast. Options are so complicated. You could probably go to school for a couple of years just to learn the strategies. Well, I'm telling you, I had to learn these strategies on my licenses that I took and on my last supervisory licenses. It was the hardest thing that I learned. And after I took the test, it was like, okay, I, d I forgot everything I learned. Well. Not really, but there are very sophisticated strategies that, again, if you don't know what you're doing, this is something that you just don't want to play with. So you have Robinhood approving these strategies that even sophisticated option buyers don't really get into on a regular basis. Okay, so full disclosure, Cindy and I, we do have options. And we do the simplest form of them. But Very. The, but the point call is. Call options. That's it. We've learned over the few years of doing it. So it took us time and we've done okay and we're learning. But we took a very safe approach and have some knowledge and background with their partners to be able to do such things. Well, and I have licenses and 27 years in the industry. Right, so but we, I we, wouldn't we, get into the type of option trading that he's into. It, would it takes a long time to get to that point. Okay, so let's talk about the other part of the story. His account said that he had a negative $730,000 in change. And apparently it may not have been the case. And so here's the thing with options especially is they don't always settle at the end of the day. Well, part of it settles. Part In this case, and this is what it said in the article, is one half of the trade settled. But what the poor kid didn't know is that there was going to be the other half of the trade settling that would have delivered the stock on the short. Where he was short, he would have had delivery on the other side. And this is complicated so I, to even comprehend. So, for the, so the, what we're saying here meeting. is, uh, yeah, I, so I played around with looking at our account throughout the day. And I'll see something at the end of the day. And, and it's the, a it, negative. It's a negative, yeah. like, uh, like an apple. Could be negative, whatever. Right. And then I'm like, okay, that looks strange. The stock was up pretty big today, right? And then I'll go in at 4.30, and then it settles. And then maybe it's still not completely or, settled. Or the next day. We always often times, have to wait till the next day to see the actual settlement. And that's probably what would have happened to it's him. exactly what. And so, it, again, they don't give you all the details, but it apparently looks like he probably would have been fine. He actually had a $16,000 balance, it looks like, but right. then he sees all this stuff well, moving around. So it's very important. If you're going to play with options, number one, you should always be willing to lose every dollar you put in. And that's exactly right. You have to know that when you play an option strategy and you play on margin, if this is the case, you have to be able to cover it. You have to have money outside that to say, I mean, this is like going to the casino this and is gambling. Like, this is like craps. It is. You only should play with money you can afford to lose. And it should be side money. So we don't want to get back into what we always say about what we do on this podcast. But especially if you're not managing your credit and debt and managing your pre-retirement planning with money that making sure that you're managing those vehicles first. If you're going to get into something like options, that should just be play money until you can actually have the ability 
to play with that money and again afford to lose it. Well, and shame on Robin Hood. I I mean, all I can say is he should have never been approved for strategies like this. And I hope as a company, and they're not revealing much, they're not even revealing what he would have settled at because I think they probably know. It seems like they said it would not have been anywhere near bad or he, he might have even been on the plus side. They're not commenting. But I truly hope that they get this in check because if you have such a lack of stringency around these rules, then it's just going to be trouble. It's going to be a lot of trouble. This is the most tragic story for me. I cried when I heard this story. Okay, so I think we're going to leave it right there. Without a doubt, this was a tragedy. So please make sure that if you get into this type of investing, that you do your homework. And secondly, you need to make sure that whatever you invest, you're willing to lose it. Okay, now it's time for this week's coronavirus montage. So we will go through a set of stories that are not often found in the mainstream media to give us a break from the everyday reality. Okay, here's a commercial that I saw from Finnish Quantum, and they have those gel packs, kind of like Tide Pods, that you chuck into the dishwasher to get your dishes clean. So anyway, the commercial's like, hey, every time we pre-rinse dishes, we're wasting 20 gallons. And then the commercial goes on to say, we could save 150 billion gallons of water a year just by not pre-rinsing. So every time we rinse our dishes, we're wasting 20 gallons of water? Well, they don't tell you how many dishes you're pre-rinsing, but that's what they're saying. Think about it. Every time you're rinsing your dishes and we go through, oh, yeah. a, right? Let's say we make- Well, and you know I'm famous for leaving the water running. I walk away and go into the refrigerator and you're always like, why are you leaving the and water I, running? And it's shut, constant. And I go and shut it off. I know. I and do all the time. When you're scrubbing a pot, for example, or a pan, and like you put some water in there and then you leave it running- you're like, you know, right. you just leave it running. But if you leave just a little water down there as an agent, as a base to clean mm -hmm. it with and scrub it down, for example, you know, you really don't need all that additional water. I think that's great. I mean, look, we stopped rinsing. I stopped. You weren't believing me, but. Well, not the, to the level that I thought. Well, the that dishwasher has to actually be able to pick up the soil on the dishes. Otherwise, your dishes aren't getting as clean. I heard that a long time ago, so I stopped totally scrubbing them down. And well, there is an actual soil detector mode on our dishwasher. Yeah, we have a friend who in the hotel business, and we were told maybe five years ago that mm -hmm. their dishwasher person came in and specifically said, you need to not rinse as much. And I'm guilty as charged. I think I probably have been cleaning the dishes too much. So the way that I'm reading it is, you can get rid of the leftover food that hangs, the chads, if you will, off a, a like if you're boating right. or something. But get out that loose stuff, and then whatever's on that, you just throw it in. Yeah, you were kind of famous for washing the dishes before they went in the dishwasher. So I've been kind of like cleaning for the cleaning lady. Not that good, but I don't know. I know it wasn't good enough. But that commercial just you know sat in my head the other day, and so the other day I did do a little more research on ConsumerReports.com. And they surveyed 155 dishwashers, and they said any dishwasher sold in the last five years that costs $500 or more has that sensor that you were talking about that checks dirty water to determine how much water and how long a cycle is needed to get the dishes clean. If the sensor detects little or no debris, it gives a lighter wash than you may have expected, and that's why we pulled dishes out in the past, and sometimes there's chunks on them. Oh, yeah, exactly. So their article also says that every time that you wash dishes, 1.7 to 6 gallons of water you use every minute you run your faucet at full blast trying to knock off the food waste. That's crazy. So that's probably even more than 20 gallons like the commercial saying for the Finnish Quantum. So leave all the crap on your dishes, throw it in the washer, and then if it's more than five years old especially, they're going to come out spotless. 
Okay, story number two. Last week, we talked about in the Patrick Mahomes kind of sports talk was that how are fans going to watch the games? And we determined that the fans probably won't be watching the games, but there could be cardboard cutouts that Cindy was reading in another article. However, this week, we've read that that is actually going to be true. Yeah, so this is really cool, actually, as the Los Angeles Dodgers put out a tweet to people that were getting tweets saying your pre-sale is tomorrow and so since they can't be in the stands likely which is where this is headed is that you actually can purchase a cutout of yourself it is 299 dollars if you want it at the field level and for the lodge level it's 149 dollars and actually you get to take that cutout back at the end of the season so you get to take it home but I, I think I actually would pay for that. Okay, so here's the cool thing. That money will be going to charity. Yeah, I read that the net proceeds will actually benefit the Dodgers Foundation, which they tackle issues locally on improving education, health care, homelessness, and social justice, which is really awesome. As we always say, we love these stories that take a situation and make something better than what it was before. Well, and and one more thing I want to add is when you get the confirmation email that you purchased that, it serves as a tax receipt for a tax-deductible donation. So it's win-win on both sides. This is so cool. Sweet. Very cool. Okay, we're going to go back to the healthcare front for this last story. And I looked up an article last week. It says, How to Look After Your Skin. And this is out of the BBC Science Focus magazine. I thought it was interesting because it talks about skin care and women use lotions and creams and all that kind of stuff. And it points out just some quick hitters that we thought we would share for you and probably a couple misconceptions that you didn't know about. So this article interviewed a consultant dermatologist named Dr. Bob Shergel. Number one, there are 3,000 skin-related conditions such as eczema, psoriasis, and whatnot, so people like that actually have to work on routines because they have to manage the skin. But let's get on to some facts here. Moisturizers don't give water to the skin. This is actually... What? 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 Moisturizer? No. Say it. Say it. No. Say it. Moisturizer. Moisturizer. So that's a fallacy. Yeah, then the next thing they said is moisturizers... I can't say that word without laughing. That's been the long-standing... Don't look at me. I know. Moisturizer. Stop. (laughs) They say that moisturizers don't give water to the skin, so it's a common misconception. Moisturizers provide a protective barrier and work by allowing the body to transfer water from deep down in the skin to the top layers. All right. So here's the next one. It says that expensive creams aren't necessarily better, so it's possible that some of you women out there have been blowing more money than you needed to. You know that I have, I'm always a sucker for, you know, the next big moisturizer that's going to, or anti-aging. It's working great. Oh, thanks, hon. No, basically they're saying there's some interesting psychology going on here because we pay extra for the branding, the packaging, and the ethos, and we value things more because they're expensive, right? So if you have specific needs, might be worth paying a bit more. Products that contain vitamin B3, for example, are excellent for people with brown patches. Now the next one says anti-aging creams can make a difference. So that is actually cool that something does work, because how do you really know? So the vitamin A retinols appear to work very well, so it can improve your appearance. Well, you know, every time I've ever used those, I've broken out in terrible rashes. Well, it says here you have to be careful, right? I can't do it. I can't use those. I can't use retinol. Here's the one I thought was cool, is that there's no difference between male and female skincare products. So you guys are probably getting hosed again as usual, right? For sure. If you buy a pair, like I've done this before. We were in shopping in the mall somewhere, and 
I don't even know where it was. American Eagle one day. I went over to get my pair of jeans. Right. You went over, pulled a pair of jeans off, and your jeans were like 20 bucks more. Oh, yeah, exactly. And for less material. That's so true. Women just, on the, I think, on the whole, the same product that a guy's buying to a woman seems to be jacked up. So they're saying there's no difference between male and female skincare products, but people are getting seduced by the branding and the packaging. Well, I don't need moisturizer anyway. I just use yours. You use my, actually, you use. <laughs> no, I don't. You use olive oil. I've been using olive oil for years, but you know what? Everybody tells me I look really young. I know, and every time I go to bed at night, I, I want to saute up a chicken. I know, sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm licking my own face because it tastes <laughs> like, so good. God, I could I lay down at night <laughs> and think, God, I could really go for some sautéed mushrooms and chicken tonight. So those are a couple of quick facts we thought we'd just throw your way. So if you're moisturizing your skin. Stop. So if you're moisturizing your skin. <laughs> So if you're moisturizing your skin, <laughs> stop that. Especially the moisturizing, you may want to buy the male version of it because you're going to probably pay less, right? And get the same thing. The same thing. Okay, so that's going to do it for this week's coronavirus montage, and we are now going to move on to the human interest story of the week. And this is a human interest story of 1,900 people in a small town in Washington working together to help each other out during the COVID times. This is a great story. This is in Tonino, Washington. What they're doing is printing wooden money to help their residents through the pandemic. So as businesses struggle to stay afloat, and of course the record number of Americans have lost their jobs, this city actually started a creative way to help its neediest residents. So in this town of 1,900 residents, you have to demonstrate an economic hardship, which is caused by the pandemic, and they'll actually receive up to $300 monthly, which is being subsidized by a city hall grant program. Cool thing is, and we saw this story this morning, but read a little further into it, the bills are being made out of wood veneer, and each is worth $25. Yeah, the cool thing is, is that because of that hardship need, they give this money out, if you will, and they can go around the town and use it as they would any sort of cash. For example, grocery store the local restaurant, and even people's electrical bills. So the cool thing is the restaurant can take these wooden dollars and go cash that back in for real money. The good part of this, I think, too, is that they can't be redeemed for cash, and the maximum change allowed from it is 99 cents, so that they can't redeem it and get big dollars back in cash. And no alcohol, of course. No alcohol, tobacco, or marijuana. And they're treated like cash, so this is great. It's a win-win for business owners and residents. It keeps the businesses open in town, and it and they're only good in Tonino. And so far, $10,000 worth have been printed for now, but dozens of people are qualifying. And honestly, it just creates this direct, quantifiable economic aspect and the spirit of creating hope for people. What I love, too, is they're printed with a Latin phrase on them, which means we've got this handled. So here's another interesting part to this story is that people are getting offers from others to pay up for these dollars because they're looked at as a collector's item. And the one lady that they interviewed, for example, said, I'm not giving these up. And it's not because of the novelty of it. It's for the community spirit and the appreciation of being able to manage things in a town together. Yes, and they're created as a local stimulus for the citizens, and they value that. And uh, collectors are coming from all over offering them money. And, and the mayor even said, it's okay if they sell that. That is part of that stimulus. I'm good if they make a profit off that because they can only be used in the town. Another interesting part to this is that making this money is not illegal. There's a loophole 
in that this money is not made from paper, and because it is made from wood, they're not doing anything that's below board. Right, and what I thought was also cool about this story is that they've actually done this before. They started this in the Great Recession. They actually printed these back in 1931 when the local citizens' bank failed and all the bank accounts were frozen. So those wooden dollars, actually, those are collector's items big time, but they started printing these wooden dollars off the printing press from the late 1890s. So just a great story. Yep, and that is great. So we love to see community and people working together, especially in these challenging times. Yep, and the mayor was quoted as saying, we preach localism like religion. So here's to you, Tanita Washington. Great job keeping your city alive. All right, so that's going to do it for that story, and that's going to conclude our podcast for the week. You can catch us on all social media platforms and on somethingonmymind.net where you can submit questions to the show. So until then, until next week, I am David. And I am Cindy. 